This week, we're talking about the mysterious death of a wealthy, powerful man. In the early years of the 20th century, Alfred Lowenstein was firmly established as one of the most powerful financiers in the world. Lowenstein made an enormous fortune providing electric power facilities for developing countries worldwide through his Belgian-based company, whose name I'm probably going to massacre, but it's Société Internationale d'Energie Hydroelectrique. By the mid-1920s, Lowenstein's reputation was such that he was consulted by heads of state. Our story begins on the evening of July 4, 1928. On that day, Alfred and his employees boarded a private plane at Croydon Airport in Surrey, England. He was heading to his home country of Belgium. This trip was not unusual. In fact, he made this journey from Croydon to Brussels several times a year on his private plane. It was a good day for flying, clear skies, calm winds. His pilot, a man named Donald Drew, expected a standard flight. Aboard the plane that day were the pilot and a mechanic, Robert Little. The two of them sat in the cockpit of the plane, which had its own entrance and did not provide them access to the passenger compartment. Now, a couple of things about this plane... While in flight, the cabin did not pressurize. This means the narrow passenger compartment was very loud, and there was some turbulence. Noises from the back of the plane or the cockpit would be difficult to hear over the standard sounds occurring during a normal flight. The plane traveled at an altitude of about 4,000 feet. In the passenger compartment was Lowenstein, his valet, Fred Baxter, his secretary, Arthur Hodgson, and two women, stenographers Eileen Clark and Paula Bidelon. The plane, a Fokker trimotor, took off without incident and headed across the channel. Mid-flight, Lowenstein headed for the bathroom at the rear of the craft, and bathroom is being generous. It was a tiny lavatory compartment. At the rear of the passenger compartment was a door, and when you opened it, there was a tiny hallway, more like a vestibule, which had two doors. One led to the lavatory, and the other served as the only entrance egress for the plane. When Lowenstein didn't return to his seat, one of his employees went to check on him, and instead of finding the businessman, they found the lavatory empty and the door to the plane unlatched. There was no sign of the millionaire businessman. They notified the pilot, Donald Drew, of the missing passenger, and instead of diverting to an airfield, he landed on the beach near Dunkirk in France. The beach was controlled by the French military, and within minutes the plane was surrounded. They explained that Lowenstein was on the plane, and then he was gone, and the door was open and unlatched at the rear of the passenger compartment. The plane's remaining occupants could not explain what had happened. They thought their boss must have accidentally fallen to his death from the exit door. It would take nearly two weeks to learn what became of Alfred Lowenstein when a badly decomposed body was found by fishermen on July 19th. While the remains were bloated and damaged for many days at sea, the clothing appeared to be consistent with Lowenstein's wardrobe and what he was wearing July 4th. His widow, Madeline, paid for a private autopsy to be performed, 
There was a small amount of alcohol in his system, which was unusual because Alfred was not a drinker. There were no signs of foul play or suicide. While there was an official inquiry into the incident, no one was questioned under oath, and the testimony that carried the most weight was that of the pilot, Donald Drew, and the mechanic, Robert Little. Both men stated that the entry door at the rear of the plane was easy to open, and he must have accidentally accessed it and fallen from the plane. A ruling of accidental death was decided, and Lowenstein was buried in a tomb belonging to his wife's family. That should have been the end of the tragic story, except the problem with this conclusion of accidental death is that Lowenstein meant to open the lavatory door, but instead opened the exit and fell to his death is that the entry door is not easy to open. It usually took the efforts of two men to open the door. In fact, the accident branch of the British Air Ministry tested the door on identical craft repeatedly, and the door didn't just fling open, spilling them out. It appears that the ruling of accidental was perhaps made in haste. When suicide is considered, we must remember that 51-year-old Lowenstein showed no signs of depression and was making plans for the future. Also, it would have been a challenge to open the door from inside the moving craft. The door was clearly marked exit, so it could not be mistaken for the lavatory, and the door was spring-loaded, requiring a fair amount of strength, usually provided by two men to open. Author William Norris, in his 2021 book about the incident, believes that the pilot and mechanic Drew and Little were behind the incident, that they swapped out the usual spring-loaded door with a lighter replacement when loosened bolts and springs to make sure it opened quickly and easily. When the plane landed on the beach, they exited the cockpit and quickly replaced the substitute door with the real door, which had been concealed in the luggage compartment beneath the plane. This could account for the decision to land on a beach rather than on an airstrip. The beach gave them privacy and time to make the switch. If Drew and Little were behind the murder of Lowenstein, you must ask why. Who could benefit? International Holdings, the company Lowenstein shared with partners Albert Pam and Frederick Sarvazi, was the beneficiary of millions of dollars in life insurance payments after Lowenstein's death. Then there was his business rival and former associate, Henry Dreyfus. Dreyfus pushed an expose about Lowenstein in the European press, and Lowenstein sued him for libel. The case was in courts when Lowenstein died, which brought it to an end. Listeners, there are a lot of things about this case that don't make sense. Joining us today for the discussion is Tim from the Deadball Podcast, Thad also from the Deadball Podcast, Chuck from Spy Stories, and me, Nina, from Already Gone. Now, Tim, one of the questions I had about this case is, do you think the body that they found floating in the channel was really his body? No, well, actually, I was going to ask you that. Is how, what was the shape? I mean, was, I, I would imagine that the body would have been in pretty bad condition, wouldn't it? Yeah. Summer. We know. 
So could it July? have been a different, could they have, I mean, yeah. Could they have? Well, this is before DNA and, you know, dental things, but he had a very expensive, very distinct watch. And they found that on the body. So that's really what he was identified by. And also, they took photos of him like mere minutes before he boarded the plane. So they knew exactly what he was wearing, exactly how he looked at the moment right before he boarded this fateful flight. So I think between what he was wearing, his jewelry, like Chuck mentioned, it would have been a really big plot to make it be somebody else. Mm. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine the thing that sticks with me on this is you're the third richest guy in the world. And when you take that step, you realize it's all been for not because or unless they threw him out. But yeah. it's all been for not because you're just clumsy. That's because that's my theory behind the whole thing. Um, he was just clumsy, but you think it was an oops. I'm glo- so yeah. You think it was an accident. I do think it was an accident. I think that the guy just, you know, he had a full bladder and yeah, who, you know, this is, this is a true story, but um, my dad actually got up in the middle of the night and thought he was walking into the bathroom and the basement door and the bathroom door were side by side wasn't drunk he was just sleepy and he hit the wrong door and fell down the basement steps oh, oh my god yeah but yeah so i mean things like that happen but this airplane but in this door, case it was yeah so i was gonna bring up go ahead oh no go ahead no i was gonna say it, it wasn't there something about this door that made it um less likely that it was a just a mistake Yeah, it was hard to open. They needed two people to open the door in tests that they performed after the this incident. That's why I don't think it was an accident. Because he he would have had had to have some superhuman strength to open this door on his own. Because it, like Nina said, it would have in in test it took two two people to open it. So. I mean, it could have been, obviously. I mean, you know, no one knows for sure. Um, I definitely think he was murdered. And I think and I think everyone was 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 in on it or at least in on it after the fact, because if you I mean, if you if you look at a picture of the kind of plane that this was, I mean, it's a small plane. Right. And, it, and as, as we talked about in the story, I mean, it, it's a it, it's it's not very big. You know, you there's not a lot of room. You can't hide. So. Everyone either had to know what was going on or people were threatened afterwards to, to go along with the story. And how many people were they? Were they five people on the plane? There were were six people on the, right? Well, there were, yeah, six people plus him. Yeah. Plus Lowenstein. So there were six people. I, you know, I just, I find it just, it's hard to, well, the door theory is, you know, Keep their mouth shut. I mean, it happens. But well, that was a lot of money. It was a lot of money, but you know, usually, yeah. you know, usually when there's a conspiracy like that, some, you know, something, someone talks. So, or somebody buys a Bentley and 
bunch of fur toes. So is it, like that. Uh, Nina was was the uh, was his wife? Was it? Does she had the you know? Does she, it was? Does she have the um, motivation? You think? You know, I think the wife had her own money because if I remember correctly, when he passed away, they buried him in her family's tomb or cemetery area. So I don't know. I don't know how much money she she had independent. She She probably wasn't. Yeah, but it wasn't third richest person in the world money. Right, right. So if. If we go by the Nixonian follow the money theory, um, who had the most to gain from his death? Competitors, family, well, his business well, partner. Like wife would be our business partners. You think? Well, they had yeah, his, his, bu- his business partners weren't weren't they named as like beneficiaries on his yeah, life insurance policy? They were. Yeah, and there were a lot of them. A lot of insurance policies you know but the stock crashed once they found out he had died right right but i mean the stock kind of tumbled the insurance policies are still worth what they're worth well that's true yeah yeah the insurance is still going to be be that and and because they're yeah because they're 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 business partners you know you you, i mean you have to you have to have an, an interest in someone's life you know, like an ins- I think they call it an insurable interest. So, you know, obviously when you're business partners, you can take that out. So they, they definitely had a lot to gain for it. Um, I mean, he did have a run-in with a, a rival, if you will, from another another business. Um, I think some things were written about him that he didn't like. So there, there was some bad blood there. But I, I, I don't, th- I mean, in my mind, I don't think that's enough to, to plot the murder of someone. Especially chucking him out of a, an airplane. Uh, but his wife didn't attend the funeral, right? Right. You think she was too distraught? Maybe. You know, they... I don't think so. I don't know what kind of funeral it would have been because he was badly decomposed after being in the water in the summer for two weeks. Ew. Yeah. So there's. I imagine a closed casket. Yeah, but still, they don't make closed caskets then like they do now. Bloated and smelly and. Yeah. I wonder if they. I wonder if they cremated. That's a good question. I just I think, think it's, it's there's easier ways to kill somebody if you were if you were going to knock him off. I than, agree. Than to come up with this theory that he opened the wrong door. Yeah, it seems over-engineered. But isn't there a replacement door theory on that, that they could have possibly rigged the door to make it easy to open and switch the signs for the, well, switching the signs is going a little far, (laughs) but that would be the perfect way to do it, is put the little sign for the bathroom on the exit door, and then... So the theory is that the pilot landed not in an airstrip, but on the beach so that the pilot and the co-pilot or mechanic who was riding up front with the pilot could then hop out of the plane, run around, switch the doors out, that the real door was kept in storage. Um, yeah. And that way they... I could see that's a viable theory. Right. But that would explain why they landed on an beach instead of an airstrip if they landed on an airstrip they would not be able to make that swap 
And in a case like that, do you know the last thing that went through his mind as he hit the water? No. His feet. (laughs) (laughs) You know. um, That's insensitive. I'm sorry. It's terrible. So then, and if if that was the theory, like if it was the pilots, then you're really. I mean, the other people wouldn't have to know about it, right? I mean, it. If you're just another passenger, you wouldn't have to be in on it necessarily. Right. It could have just been one of the passengers who followed him back to the bathroom and pushed him out the door, and then returned to their seat like nothing happened, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to go check on him. But the, yeah, this was kind of like a Snoopy in the Red Baron plane with, you know, kind of a little living room dropped in it. Yeah, I'm sure it's a, it was a small plane, right? It was. Yeah. And it did not, um, did not pressurize and it flew at about 4,000 feet. So it was loud and rattly. And there, the, the investigation, there was not, from what I understand, a huge investigation into this. No. Right? Correct. The um, Belgian and French authorities were real quick to, like, they just did sort of a perfunctory um, exploration into the accident. And they were like, yep, it was an accident. Mm. He fell. Yeah. Why do more paperwork when you don't have to? Well, I think it's the worst. I think it's, uh, you know, there's something to that. I mean, there's no... What was their interest? You know, what was the French government or the Belgian government in interest in this? Um, you know, they probably did just say, you know, you follow the plane, that's it. We, we Yeah, uh, very sad. Mm-hmm. Freak accident. I mean, not that this is the same thing, but, you know, you think if Putin fell out of a plane, that eh, was an accident. Who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, we'll just drop it. Pretty sure if Putin fell out of a plane, it wouldn't be an accident. Oh, it would definitely not be an accident, but people would dismiss yeah. it and be like, yeah, it's fine. It's good. Yeah. But I mean, why, if you're the French or Belgian government, why do you, why is it, why do you care? You know, why are you going to spend a lot of times, a lot of time and money re, uh, investigating it when uh, he, he, he wasn't a citizen of either of those countries. His wife wasn't a citizen. Well, no, he was he was a Belgian citizen and Oh, flight, was he a Belgian citizen? Yeah, okay. the flight yeah. originated in um England. It was a regular okay. flight that he took. And didn't one of you tell me that he had so much money that when the Belgian government something with his during World War Yeah. World War One, um he the government went into exile. And he told the Belgian government he would give them $50 million, which is a lot of money, and even today's money, to buy all the national debt from them. Wow. So the country would have no... He was going to loan it to him. They turned him down, but he offered. So that's... That's all. I don't have my calculator to say what that is in today's money, but... I mean, that's an interesting... That, that well, you would turn someone like down. Like a gazillion... Right. I guess it depends on what the well, terms are of it, right? I mean, maybe you don't want to be indebted to a citizen, you know, or maybe the terms of the you said it was a loan, right, Chuck? Like he was loaning them the, he wasn't giving it to him, he was loaning it to them. Is that correct? 
Well, he was going to buy all the national debt. They didn't have to necessarily buy it back. Okay. It would be like buying bonds. So I guess you would, would you technically own Belgium? <laughs> I don't I think it's that works. Yeah. I mean, that would be all the waffles you could eat <laughs> all the time. I, w- I want to look into buying Belgium then. I right? love waffles. waffles. Waffles and flour. Could it, could it, I mean, again, the same way, you know, this is probably the same as same response I would have if, when someone would say this was murder, but could it have been a, a suicide? You run into the same issue with him getting the door open. Yeah. Yeah. Even back then they, they knew the one thing you didn't want to do was have an open door on the plane. Right. But, you know, back idea. in those days, that's when they have all those, um, barnstormers and stuff and you see these guys jumping rope on the wings oh, crazy <laughs> yeah these guys have a death wish but he doesn't he doesn't I don't sound know. like a guy though that was suicidal you know again no and and, and that's like uh like you know nina was just mentioning there's easier ways to, to commit suicide oh yeah jumping out of the plane yeah uh, easier but not Sure. Completely. I mean, this is foolproof. Yeah. You're not going to survive it at 4,000 feet. So it's most effective. How, how long do you think it takes to fall 4,000 feet to your death? That sounds fall like 4,000 feet. I guess the maximum speed. I forget your maximum speed. Like the terminal velocity. Let me get my assistant on that. I've got Bo here. <laughs> um, Don't throw Bo out the. And he can. I, I just think it would be a terrible way to go because you have all that time on the way down to know that you can't get out of it and what's coming. Well, and then you, you know, you might survive. Yeah. The worst part is you might survive the fall and then you're, then you're, you know, you may have internal bleeding or, you know, then you're sitting around waiting for the fish to eat you, which is what happens. Um, you know, people who jump off bridges and stuff. That sometimes, you know, they survive the fall, but, you know, they're so, the worst so, things. So, so this from omnicalculator.com, and it's a physics calculator. And it says, putting in 4,000 feet of a gravitational acceleration of 332.17. And this is the, this is what stock is in there, so I assume that it's correct. But it says to fall 4,000 feet would take you 15.77 seconds. So not as long as I thought, it, or... no. I thought it would have taken much longer to fall. Yeah. 4,000 yeah, feet. I agree. But that would be a shitty 15 seconds. I agree, Nina. Yeah. Cause you're falling more than a mile. Yeah. Yeah. And well, the first, the first two or three seconds, you're thinking, what the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, unless, I, you know, you may pass out too. So yeah. Let's, let's hope. Let's hope that you would pass out. But you Either think about way. people that, you know, uh, what's the, uh, uh, the, the, the bridge in San Francisco, the, uh, golden gate, golden gate. Mm-hmm. Golden golden gate. gate. There we go. Many people have jumped off of that. And I think only a couple have survived. So yeah, they, you don't have to jump far in order to die. So, you know, the strange thing about that is that most of the people who survived were glad that they survived and on the way down regretted jumping. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, some of them said it was just like an impulse thing. They had no intention of jumping, uh, which killing is, themselves. Yeah. They just would, they had an impulse when they were walking across. Because you know, thousands of people walk across that bridge every day. And uh, well, it's a weird thing, and it's a little bit off so- topic, so I won't spend that much time on it. But people who commit suicide, um, that is the number one factor in their in suicide is the person's impulsivity mm-hmm. hmm. um, because I think it's like 85% of suicides are committed within 20 minutes of the time that people have the thought to do it. I wonder how so they it's just know on a whim. So the people, people that survive suicide wow. attempts, you know, they ask them what is, so the greatest Thing, you know, I mean, you could have a whole long conversation about it, but, you know, like having a gun in the home is more dangerous because wow. if you have that impulse, you have something handy and you don't have time you to have opportunity. It's like with a lot of people, if you can get them past that first half hour, they'll change their mind. Mm-hmm. You know, a half hour later, they'll change their mind. I'd have to find the. Um, so you don't want to. Sorry, go ahead. No, on, on the other one, we when we did an episode on guns in the United States and you know suicide because the majority of gun deaths in the U.S. are suicides. Yeah, and it's like sixty percent, and um, and people that do it, it's very impulsive. Generally, mm. you know, some people sit around think about it for a long, long time, and then they decide, oh, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to find the combination to the gun safe so i'd be the urge would pass well hopefully the urge would pass yeah <laughs> i don't know where the combination is it's around here somewhere it's one two three well, four five women rarely it's not yeah women rarely shoot themselves even even in death women remain vain hmm. they do it in ways that don't often disfigure themselves like um overdose Overdose, which is the least effective way generally, which is good. So I used to work at a, I don't know, man, you've had had your stomach pumped. That shit ain't pleasant. No, thank you. It's not. No, but it, it, it's kind of funny that you say that about the gun safe because I have guns and, um, you know, if a burglar came into my house and it'd take me, I'd have to say, hey, can you give me, you know, <laughs> give me a minute, give me about five <laughs> minutes here because I got to go down to the basement. I got to open the gun cabinet. I got to do this. So by that time, you know, Bo would have gnawed him to pieces, right. just torn him to shreds. So I'd be OK. So but I, I think it was to get back to him. I, I think it was just a horrible. I, I don't know if I think it's a, an an accident or it just amuses me so greatly <laughs> that the third richest man in the world could just walk out of an airplane. Yeah. I mean, I guess not, not everyone who's rich is necessarily intelligent. True. Not to get very, well, I mean, even to very, very smart people, accidents happen. Well, no, they, they, do, they do, you know, sure, sure. And fly, I mean, I mean flying playing, was a relatively new experience in, yeah. in, in the 1920s. I mean, he might have wanted to get a better view. They had tiny windows. He just went to open got the a door. better view. <laughs> he For did. 15.77 seconds. The yeah. view was really spectacular. So I, I also looked up the height of, because we were talking about the Golden Gate Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge is 746 feet. 
And that is 6.81 seconds to fall to your death. So a lot less time to, to think about it. Um, yeah. It's interesting are, that you say that er- people who have survived say that the second they jump, they immediately regretted it. It's like, what did you think keep was in mind, happen, right? Well, keep in mind, there's not been a whole bunch of people who survived, but fair enough. You know, it's a small sample size, small sample size, right? They do. I mean, one guy jumped. I, we did, we covered the Golden Gate Bridge on a different podcast. And one guy jumped twice. He survived the first time and he, you know, they get, they pulled him out of the water and, you know, he had a lot of broken bones and things. And then um, he healed and then he jumped a second time. Second time it killed him. Jesus. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and the strange thing about jumping off the goal, I watched a special on that on Netflix because there's cameras there. Yeah, it's so a they, great, there's a documentary called film The Bridge. All the jumping. Yeah. The Bridge. Yeah, it's really good. And what what kills people is the pressure, when, not the impact so much, but the pressure. It just crushes your bones because you hit the water and the change in pressure will just compress everything and just demolish your Sounds ribs. miserable. It does. Well, and that's that is what I was saying. You don't know that the jump can kill you. I mean, we know a few people who jumped and survived, but there's still a lot of people who may have lived, survived the initial jump, but then died. They got pulled out to the ocean, or they were eaten by sharks or whatever. So you don't know that that you know the jump is going to kill you. Wouldn't that suck to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge, survive it, think, oh, man, you know, I'm going to get to the hospital. I'm going to whatever, you know, and then get eaten by a shark on your way trying to make it to shore. It really was your time. If that happens, it really was your time to go. Yes. Yeah. That's really bad. Yeah. But I also got to think, too, right? Like you're already suicidal. You're already down on yourself. You jump and you don't die. You think (laughs) I can't even kill myself correctly. And you're hurting. It's like not going to help your self-esteem. No, it's not going to hurt your self-esteem. Yeah, I mean, all kinds of bones are broken, and you're like, "Oh man." Well, what do you what do you think? Damn. Do you do you, do you go in head first? I mean, as much as you can help it. I mean, is that how you'd want to do it? Yeah, I'm not sure you can control it. I mean, you I know. at least I think dive yeah, I off head first and hopefully land that way and get over as quickly as possible. Never thought about it. It's like I always remember. There's this. There's this scene from uh, the Tudors, which I love. It's a Showtime show about Henry mm-hmm. VIII and all of his wives. And one of the storylines was there was a cook who tried to kill one of Henry's um, one of his officers, and they poisoned. He, he poisoned all this food, and you know they they found out it was him. So they boil him in oil. And one of the lines they ask him as they're lowering him down is to say, do you want it head first or just as it comes? It's like head first sounds awful, but at least it's over with quicker, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just knock it out. Get it done. I was reading about this. um, This guy who assassinated uh, a king, king of Italy, Umbuto, I think his name was. And. His sentence, he had a he had a lifetime sentence. And his jail cell was only um, three and a half feet tall, which meant 
he could never stand up straight. So he, <laughs> I mean, it, and I always think about it, how miserable would that be? Oh my God. I mean, you're in this little small cell and you can never, you could never stand up. So he spends the rest He's, of his life hunched over. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he lived. I don't know how long he lived, but I think it was in like the, it was right before the turn of the 20th century. So it hasn't been that long. Ago. So it was only three and a half but feet tall. Do we know how long it was? Like, could he, could he lay down? I got the impression it wasn't very, you know, it was very, a very enclosed mm-hmm. small environment where he, he could never stand up. And I wonder how long before your body would distort to fit. I don't know. You know, during the revolutionary war, they would be, they would, uh, prisoners of war were kept underground. And that is, you know, you, you were captured. You wouldn't put in a camp or anything. You just put you in a hole and that's where you lived until you, the war ended or you died. Hmm. You know, there's a lot of ways, a lot of, this was prior to the Geneva things, Accords. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, British, they would any- put, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, do we have anything else to talk about regarding Alfred Lowenstein and his departure from the airplane? I think it was an accident. It was a good That's story, though. It and was I, interesting. You, yeah, it was a very good story, Nina. Now, if I think the poor bastard was a murdered. regular person would have died like that, probably they don't. They don't. No one even cares. But because he was wealthy and the third richest man in the world. You know, it's a, it's a, nobody seemed to care much. Either. Well, but you know <laughs> what I mean? I mean, like it's a mystery, yeah. whereas they wouldn't be on a podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It's a great story though. Well, we appreciate you listening to dark archive. And if you continue to listen, we will continue to make episodes. So please subscribe and leave us a good review. Unless you get inclined to, leave us a bad review, then just take 10 deep breaths and walk away from your computer. So thank you.